on one of the days that really got me hooked on the sport, it was uh, the biggest cliff I had ever gone off of and was probably 35 feet or so. Wow. Hit the, the snow, landed, and actually submerged underneath the surface of the snow. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 76, Greg Floyd, Backcountry Skiing. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have with us Greg Floyd. Greg was born in Colorado, so he's a Colorado native, and he grew up in the Rocky Mountains from Colorado through Wyoming and Montana, and as a young man, he did alpine skiing, and then as a teenager, fell in love with backcountry skiing. Today, he's here to share with us his passion for what it's like to ski in the backcountry of Colorado, and also, Greg has started a couple of businesses in Golden, which can help everyone with their adventure sports, Bentgate as well as the Golden Bike Shop. So Bent Gate is a is a mountaineering, skiing, backpacking, camping-style outfitter. And the Golden Bike Shop, of course, is a bike shop. So, Greg, welcome to the program. Great. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. Greg, take a few minutes to tell our listeners more about yourself. I just kind of gave them a real brief sketch, but who is Greg Floyd? Um, well, I was born here in Colorado. I Started skiing when I was six years old with uh, with my family, with my older sisters. Uh, definitely a, a fairly casual thing. It was a, a few times a year um, hitting you know family resorts. I first time ever was up at Ski Sunlight in Glenwood Springs uh, with one of my um, longtime uh, friends uh, that you know, I ended up ski bumming with when we were in college and just. Uh, have had that connection with him my whole life. Um, I went a few seasons every a few times each season throughout the school years. Ended up moving to Wyoming for middle school and high school and went to small resorts up there. Um, Sleeping Giant up in northwest Wyoming, uh, Red Lodge in southwest Montana. Um, you know, back then, uh, it was, you know, the, I guess be middle 80s. It was uh, learning on rope toes going uphill that, you know, high speed and learning how to grab onto those things, which made, I think, a lot of the uh, adventure almost as much going uphill is uh <laughs> turn around and coming back down it was uh something that took a lot of getting used to but uh, yeah that was kind of the the early times of, of getting going um in high school my family ended up moving up to uh montana right near uh glacier national park uh six miles south of canada um to a town called pole bridge and went to a, a very small self-paced school called tamarack springs and uh one of the deals my dad uh, had made with me, he had found out that kind of about the school and how it was paced, and uh, that we had moved near a ski resort and I knew I liked to ski, so he gave me some motivation by saying, you know, if I completed uh, all my studies on time or early and got straight A's, that I could uh, go and spend some time uh, skiing at, at Big Mountain and working there. And needless to say, that was uh, all the motivation it took for me to pour through my books and just study day and night, and I ended up 
um, finishing up much earlier than my, my dad thought. And I ended up getting about six weeks of, uh, kind of my first, first ski bum, um, experience. Uh, I ended up living in a sheep herder shack behind the Calisp, uh, airport. It was a teeny little room that could barely fit a sleeping bag and a little, uh, wood burning stove and ended up, that was when I was, uh, right around 17 years old and worked up at big mountain, which is, uh, just a, a few miles up, up the road there and uh, ma- paid my rent by uh, feeding the sheep that were on the other side of the fence there. <laughs> right on. The shack. And, uh, you know, I w- wasn't making much money. Um, I was working up there on the mountain, you know, probably making like eight bucks an hour and, you know, skiing every day. Um, but that's when I really got introduced to uh, finding out about area boundaries and getting out of bounds into untouched terrain and a little bit of touring. I didn't have touring equipment. It was more boot packing at that time. But um, skiing in uh, Montana was extremely different than uh, skiing down here in Colorado or Wyoming. The, uh, the out of bounds, especially the, the trees were covered with snow that would stick and form, you know, they call them snow ghosts and just skiing through that kind of a, uh, um, atmosphere and terrain um was amazing out of the gates there at big mountain there were a lot of varying size cliff bands which to me at that age um was extremely fun from starting off on the little five and ten footers and then just being able to work my way up in um you know these conditions with a lot of snow that was heavy and dense could get bigger and bigger comfortably uh you know got into skiing exciting terrain you know getting probably nothing huge you know 20 and 25 foot cliffs uh with nice landings and um you know just doing laps of stuff like that got it to where i was just like wow this is something i need to take some time and do again um you know i had that kind of in the back of my mind i wanted to do more of it um at some point in my life and uh ended up um this was before cell phones and my dad thought I had actually gone back to school and I ended up uh, almost not being admitted because I, the snow was really that season and I stayed uh, an extra couple weeks to kind of <laughs> get that six week period. And my, my grandma actually uh, was the one who f- kind of found where I was and figured out what I was doing and uh, had somebody uh, locate and got me back to, to finish my high school uh, <laughs> career, I guess. And, uh, that was my Greg, that sounds like the perfect ski bum story right there. I love it. Yeah, that was, it was great. It really kind of whet my appetite for uh, what was to come, I guess. Um, following that, I actually did uh, finish, finish high school, did well, um, went to college for a year. And uh, my buddy, who was the uh, first, first guy I'd ever skied with, Stefan, um, he uh, had come up with an idea of taking a year off and going and skiing in Vail, whereas his family had a condo. It was a, a timeshare. But um, he, he had just spent a lot of time there growing up, and we both ha- had a love of, of Colorado. And so it didn't take much convincing uh, for me to, to go for a year, which ended up turning into uh, almost three years for me. Um, we went and uh, took time off from college, and that's where I really got into uh, skiing backcountry, getting into uh, skiing the East Vale Chutes and having some, um, some opportunity to ski some train that just uh, you know, really got me hooked on the on the sport and uh getting in touch with the community it's like a big mountain i didn't really have as many people whereas once i was in Vail for a few years i really found out about the the community that likes to ski in the backcountry and that was i think what really set the set the hook and really got me you know addicted honestly very cool you know 
a lot of people know about alpine skiing because uh, skiing, snowboarding, they, they come to the resorts, they take the lifts, they, they enjoy what Colorado has to offer, which is awesome. But there is a much, much smaller group of people that get into the backcountry. And it's a similar sport. I mean, you're still on skis. But there's a, a wide range of differences, too, with backcountry skiing. New dangers, new challenges, a lot more work. Tell us about it. What's this backcountry skiing sport like? Um, to me, it's got two very distinct aspects of it. And uh, the backcountry side of thing, I mean, it just it simply boils down to, to being in the mountains. And for me, that's just, there's something that, for me, it's a, a spiritual connection, a, a mental um, getaway. It's a time where um, usually it's, you know, this, the start of the day. It often involves an early, a very early start, a dawn patrol where you're getting up before the sun's up and um, almost always have, have friends, you know, um, especially if you're anywhere with uh, avalanche danger. And so you have a usually a fairly tight-knit group of buddies or just even one ski partner with you. And it's uh, a very unique time um different than you know being at the resort which um you know just being on chairs you're uh human powered travel it's the same as uh reminds me of the time i spent in the wilderness backpacking like in glacier park or um in these beautiful spots where it's just the serenity and that the quiet is there it's just time to chill and relax and get away and then at some point in the day you know you get the uh, the total opposite side where it's just a a thrilling descent or uh, even if it's a mellow descent, you know, it can have such a wide variety of, of what you're in, what's, what may be in store. You know, it can be, um, steep couars, which are one of my favorite where it's hard pack and it suddenly is all about, um, precision and turn every single turn matter matters and looking at the run from the top of, you know, usually being perched on rocks and having rocks on both sides and really having to focus and get in tune with the environment and the terrain and um, really kind of plan and prepare for what you're doing and then getting, you know, getting in the zone. Um, It can also range to just big wide open uh, powder field descents where you're just um, in wide open terrain and getting close to I probably the closest feeling I've had to feeling like you could fly and being weightless and just a total, you know, euphoria of, you know, just floating in powder. Um, you know, so there's just such a, the backcountry has so many varieties, but it's always got the, uh, the tour in the time together. The, uh, the route plan is actually fun. Um, it's not just looking at a, a trail map on, on a chairlift. It's, it's really spending time getting to examine topos and guidebooks and look at other people's experiences and try to figure out, you know, not just a descent, not just an ascent, but the entire adventure put together and having to, uh, bring in aspects such as avalanche safety, forecasting, um, weather, how much you're going to carry. There's just so much involved. So it's, it's, it's really a, a unique experience um, that just pulls in many more aspects than just showing up and having fun. It's, it's a, usually an all day or an all morning thing. And it's just, uh, there's a lot that I, I just love all the different aspects and how it pulls it together and the connection with friends, the connection with the mountains and the environment. So it's a lot going on for me that I love many aspects of it. Yeah, it it is amazing. I do some backcountry skiing, and I 
thoroughly enjoy the sport. There's something wonderful. I I guess a lot of our listeners are, are they've probably tried to be the first one on the ski lift in the morning so they can get the fresh tracks after a, you know a, a night storm blows through. And it's tough. You don't get fresh tracks in the ski areas very often. But when you go into the backcountry, it's almost guaranteed. Yes. It, it, uh, you know, in Colorado, if you go on the weekend and you go to the popular spots like Jones Pass or Bertha Pass and some of those spots that are close to the front range, it, it can be challenging getting, you know, a full day of first tracks, but you can almost always get, you know, two or three laps where you don't cross anybody else's or it's, uh, you know, maybe a couple times. But yeah, on some days, especially days even here being in the front range, which does have a lot of, uh, a lot of backcountry skiers, you can get a full day or several days in a row with just, Every single turn is your own your own set of tracks, and you're kind of getting to to pick your own line. And yeah, it's 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 great. You really get a yeah, <laughs> a good it really selection. Is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I wanted to mention for those who have not been in the backcountry before, it's not the same as going to ski area. No one's there to uh, hold your hand and take care of you. So certain things you need to look into first and. Greg, I'll let you expound on this stuff, but avalanche awareness, you already mentioned, that's a big one. There's also hypothermia. In route finding, you mentioned, if you get lost, then you've got the danger of hypothermia staring at you. you got to know how to survive a night in the backcountry safely, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the variable snow conditions, um, that's the reason we love the backcountry, but these aren't groomed runs. So sometimes you're going to get into stuff that's just heavy submarining-type snow that wants to keep your skis buried and... <laughs> your ankles mm-hmm. locked in place. Sometimes you get that beautiful pal. Sometimes you can slide conditions. You can have wind blown, icy. I mean, there there are as many conditions as you could possibly imagine. So I just wanted to encourage the listeners. Backcountry skiing is an amazing sport. It's a great adventure sport, but there are inherent dangers that you don't see at the ski areas. So you need to be educated and informed. Go out with someone who knows what they're doing, like Greg here. And uh, learn how to do it safely and enjoy the experience all the more. Definitely, it's uh, it's a crucial part of of the the sport. Um, and even you know the 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 people that have done it a long time. I, I have lost a friend to um, who has died in an avalanche. It's a very um, hard thing. He was a, a very experienced backcountry uh, skier and a ski patrol. Um, so yeah, there there are always those those dangers. I've been very very fortunate and blessed to have never been caught in an avalanche um but yeah it's it's crucial to learn about that and learn about your environment and the route planning and really you know turning on your brain and really thinking through what you're getting yourself into and and really planning in in all aspects before you get out and uh you know, into the backcountry, even without skis, even without into the avalanche train. And those are just, you know, additional things that you need to, to be aware of. So that's something that, uh, you know, our shop definitely gets involved with because there is a, a whole, whole generation or, um, just a lot of alpine skiers that, you know, they see so much of, um, the photos and videos of backcountry lines and, and, want to rightfully so get in and be part of that um but they come from uh the comfort of of having avalanche blasting done by patrollers and control work and the areas that you know have a lot at stake um both business-wise and wanting to keep their customers alive with you know keeping dangerous train closed and they they really do look after their the skiers that are on the mountain and uh 
yeah, in the backcountry, you just you really got to understand that those those kind of luxuries don't exist, and that snow does slide, and um, it, it is very fast, and uh, things change quickly. So yeah, preparation and all aspects of backcountry travel and especially skiing and any kind of avalanche train is just crucial. Yeah. I, it seems that every year in Colorado, there are fatalities from avalanches, which is tragic. It's, it's not necessary. That's the part that's sad. You know, you don't have to be buried in an avalanche. You can spend a lifetime in the backcountry and have a glorious time if you know what you're doing and you have that situational awareness. Let's talk car racks, specifically Yakima and Thule. Chances are, if you're listening to our show, you either have one, want one, or you're going to need a car rack soon. Car racks, whether on the roof or on the back, need a good set of locks to keep your gear locked down to the rack and to your car. Good news. Our new sponsor, Z-Lock, has new lock sets for all Thule and Yakima racks at about one-third less than anywhere else. These lock cores are sourced from the original manufacturer and include bonus keys. Need replacement keys or cores matched to your current lock code? Z-Lock has replacement options even if you've lost all of your keys and don't know your key number. Check this out. Z-Lock is offering Adventure Sports Podcast listeners an additional 20% off their already low prices plus free shipping. Just enter the code ADVENTURE at checkout and you'll save up to 50% off a of retail. Go to zlock.com forward slash adventure. That's Z-E-L-O-C-K dot com forward slash adventure and save. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bentgate is here to help. Bentgate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bentgate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. I think a lot of people come to Colorado from out of state. They ski inbounds for a while, and then they say, hey, I know there's great pass. Let's drop in on that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where I just say, hey, hold up. <laughs> you know, This is when you need to realize that this is more than just skiing. This is a whole awareness, a whole sport. It's, it's something that requires an education. It really is. And uh, when I was, I guess, 19 or 20, when I was um, – you know, living in Vail and skiing and starting to ski the East Vail shoots. It's something that now looking back, I, I didn't even know what an avalanche beacon was the first time, um, I had gone out. I didn't know what, you know, anything about digging snow pits or even, you know, doing any kind of shovel shear tests or just even feeling the snow conditions with my poles. You know, I was going out there on big days with big snow, lots of, you know, it's just basically trying to figure out 
like, wow, there's going to be a soft landing. And that was, that was, we were concerned. <laughs> Where's the pal? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, it was, uh, on, on one of the days that really got me hooked on the sport, it was, uh, it was, um, biggest cliff I had ever gone off of. And we were just really spent, I bet, a half hour trying to get the courage to go off this thing and making sure that we had packed the, the takeoff and making sure that we were going to clear the rocks. And, um, after we had, had hit, it was probably, 35 feet or so wow. hit the the snow landed and actually submerged un- underneath the surface of the snow went you know hit my back kind of went back and it was probably about six feet down slope that i resurfaced and came up and looked and it was like one of those little uh bugs bunny tunnels that you see <laughs> that uh, <laughs> and i was like whoa you know and it was just that was the only thing was like, okay, it's deep snow. We're get, going out here. And then I, you know, sat back and watched, watched my buddy Stefan again do the same thing. And he submerged and came out. We were just both just ecstatic, but we had no idea of the potential danger we could be in in these really steep shoots with no real escape plan. No, no one really knowing we were there except a couple buddies that knew we were going in the general direction. So, um, when I did start getting, um, more and more involved in learning about some of the backcountry travel, um, safety, um, such as beacons. One of the first things we did um, at Bend Cape Mountaineering, um, beacons were very expensive and not as accessible um, back then. And, and we made um, beacons available at cost. That was one of the first things I did because I had friends that knew about them, but didn't get them because they were, you know, $400 back then, um, which was quite a bit in the early nineties. And so that was one of the things I was just like, man, people need these. They need to, this is crucial. You know, after seeing how deep and the kind of conditions that you can get in, in the back country, um, it just really made an impact on me. And that was one of those days that just stood out in my mind for a long time. Yeah. I still just look back at it and yeah. I'm in awe that nothing, you know, <laughs> nothing did happen. You know, it's a beautiful thing when you can say that, man, I submerged in the powder and popped out down the hill. Some people don't pop out. <laughs> right, right. You know, things can happen. It's it's really bizarre, too. The unexpected, like tree wells, a lot of people may not even know what they are, but the tree limbs keep the snow from gathering directly around the tree trunk, and then also the dark trunk gives off a little bit of heat when the sun's on it, so it creates a hollow spot in the snow that goes down through the trunk. Sometimes this gets covered with powder so you don't even see it. But there have been people that have fallen head first into a tree well. Their skis are still on. There's no getting out. Yep. There have been people who have literally died just because they're hanging upside down in a tree well. And it's those sorts of things that I think are really important to know. But what a sport. Why would you encourage people to try backcountry skiing? I, you know, for me, it's just getting out there, being part of the mountains. Um, you know, kind of what I had led into before. It's just that it, the mountains in themselves are just worthwhile to get out and be part of and get that mental and spiritual, you know, mental escape, a, a spiritual time. You know, for me, that was something that I would encourage for people. But then the, uh, you know, the amazing descent is just, you know, for the people that, um, like the, you know, the adrenaline side of things or just the, uh, the, you know, skiing powder. It's, it's unmatched. I've never skied, um, resorts other than, you know, Silverton really, Silverton Mountain down in, uh, the southwestern corner of Colorado. Sure. It really cap, captures a lot of, uh, backcountry skiing in a resort 
um, type setting. You know, it's, it uses guides and it does have avalanche control. So it's honestly, you know, the gateway drug for, <laughs> for, for getting into back, backcountry skiing. Um, you know, I've had a lot of similar experiences there and you do have the, uh, you know, the, the safety of knowing that there are patrol doing, doing a lot of that, that work, but it's just, uh, you know, getting that into the backcountry is just, uh, there's a magic in the mountains and, you know, getting out there and getting in touch with that is just, there's nothing else I've really found that, that can touch that. Yeah, that's really neat. Well, Greg, I, uh, I'm thankful that I was able to drag you out of your, out of your stores today so that you could do the podcast. The listeners might hear the, the cool music in the background. Greg's in a coffee shop right now sharing his time with us. But back to Bent Gate, let's talk about equipment for a minute because sure. um, how does someone gear up for the backcountry? And how's that different than Alpine gear? So starting with, with the, the ski equipment, the biggest thing is uh, tourable bindings. Um, a lot of the equipment these days um, is really, you know, the skis can be the same. The boots can cross over. There's a lot of tourable boots that can also work in, uh, in Alpine skis. So, so the biggest thing, you know, starting with the equipment is a binding that allows you to walk and have a stride on your ski gear. Um, most people, the more they get into it, will get dedicated touring bindings that are, are very lightweight, like a, a DinaFit tech binding, which just makes the uh, effort that much easier. Um, I got into it um, years ago with on Telemark ski gear, which now that uh, the Alpine touring gear has gotten so light and efficient, Telemark has dropped off in popularity a bit, but it's still, there's a very strong following and it's just... The, the turn itself is awesome. Doing tele turns is unlike anything on a powder day. But, um, you know, the big connection between those two is that they both allow you, um, to, to walk on your gear, um, on your skis. And then the, uh, the other side of that is that on the bottom side of your skis, uh, you need to have, uh, climbing skins, which are just removable nylon or mohair, um, devices that just cover the whole bottom of your uh your ski with a, a one-way traction device that allows you to go uphill and not slide on those same skis that will slide once you pull the skin off for going downhill so that's the you know the, the basics of of the gear on your feet and then you know they do specialize and you know skis will get lighter weight the more that they uh, are backcountry oriented and then they also do get wider the more that they're soft snow oriented so um, you know, powder skis tend to be big, but if you're skiing couars and tight shoots, those skis are often, you know, very similar size to, to alpine, um, skis. Um, once you get talking about the, the gear, um, backcountry clothing tend, you know, um, to be lighter and more breathable. A lot of times, you know, alpine ski gear, you, you're, up high on a chairlift that's often the coldest part of the day especially when those chairlifts stop or up at loveland when you're up at you know over ten thousand feet and the wind is blowing on the continental divide it can be very chilly so um, people tend to really bulk up on clothing and um having just their warmth factor covered in the backcountry you're putting out a lot of energy on the tour in in particular um and so layering systems really come into play to keeping um, you from from just getting into an uncomfortable situation and overheating and having sweat-soaked clothing, which can be cold and dangerous. Um, you know, so there's a lot of 
a lot of that goes into planning for how you're gonna layer and, and wear your clothes. Um, beyond that, there's equipment that's definitely necessary. Um, avalanche safety gear being the most important to that. Um, the beacon, uh, which is the device that sends a signal um, within a, a fairly small, you know, maybe 50 meters or less um, radius, uh, so that if you do get buried, your partners have a way of finding you. And then um, a probe, which can help in the, the fine-tuning if they they have to uh, to search for you. Um, and then a shovel to dig you out if, uh, if uh, you are buried. So those are the basics. And then these days, there's other equipment. Um, one of them is called an avalung that can help you breathe if you do get caught in a under an avalanche and under snow. They're also um, useful if you do get turned upside down in those tree wells you mentioned. So um, it's, you know, a, a kind of a, um, a tube that just takes your breath and uh, has it exhale uh, in a spot where it doesn't melt the snow right in front of you, to, which makes an, an ice shield, which can keep the air from getting to you. So avalungs can be um, very useful for gear. Um, and then the other, the most recent one is the last few years, avalanche airbags have really come into um, popularity as a flotation device that just by sheer, you know, having more um, volume, um, if you employ one of these airbags, it, the idea is to keep you above the avalanche. So even if you're involved in one and the snow's rolling down the hill, these airbags have a possibility of keeping you up on top of the, the snow surface and, uh, and safe. But with any of the gear, um, the big part is just, you know, really planning and getting to know how to use it and that they're just, all of these are tools and that they're, there's no guarantee, you know, just planning and getting to know them and being as well prepared as you can is really, you know, what it all comes down to. People may not be aware as well that there are avalanche training classes that they can take that can help. And there's several different layers of that. And in the ski industry, I mean, it's a big deal for people to be well-trained who are helping at the ski areas and that sort of thing. But as a backcountry skier, you can go take an AVI 1, AVI 2, keep going with those classes and learn an awful lot about how to predict snow conditions and how to stay out of avalanche danger in the first place. Yeah, and there's there's uh, there's the, the in-depth ones with getting the different levels. And then many uh, organizations uh, do some really good hands-on um, clinics that are really um, designed to kind of whet the appetite and give you some good, you know, good observational skills. Um, a couple that come to mind, uh, Friends of Bertha Pass offers some great classroom. Uh, they're free courses um, around the Denver metro area. Um, they're at, uh, we host them, other um, mountaineering stores, stores such as Wilderness Exchange. Um, I think Neptune's up in Boulder uh, may host some of those. Um, and then those are followed up with field sessions and they have instructors that will take you out and really get you in, involved with digging snow pits and getting some hands-on experience of, of what can be involved. Um, the CAIC or Colorado Avalanche Information Center offers um, classes. Um, and so there, there are a lot of resources available here in Colorado and, uh, especially. And then here, um, you know, we also um, work with uh, quite a few guides, um, and there's many, many good guides that, you know, that's that's one of the best ways 
Um, if you don't have experienced friends that you feel comfortable with and getting going, you know, going out and doing a, a class with a guide followed by some outings with a guide is a great way of, of getting some of that knowledge. And, and really, you know, there's no, no substitute for getting some of that hands on people that have been there. know you know, they can point out what it looks like in real life and, um, you tuned in to, to what to look for with tra- you know, from the traveling in and looking at the aspects around you and what the weather can bring and you know, just knowing when when some of those biggest avalanche dangers are gonna be around even without having to go and look at the snow. So there are many, many resources and that's one of the things I've been uh, really glad that the alpine ski industry they've they've really understood that a lot of people are getting involved in uh, you know what's been called side country. Um, there's a lot of different names flat country um there's a lot of people accessing gates at areas which essentially as soon as you do that you're backcountry skiing and that they're realizing that they need to be more proactive with the you know i think there's a um, plan going out called you know operation zero or, or something similar to that where they're really trying to get some awareness up that it's not just you know going out the gate knowing where the the run is but really trying to get your knowledge um, and awareness so that you realize you are backcountry skiing anytime you hop out of an area gate. And um, there's a lot of involvement and participation. Um, I've been involved with a, a board that, uh, let's see, the Snow Sport Industry of America. And they're trying to get that awareness um, you know, from what's on packaging um, when you buy certain backcountry gear and trying to get some um, resource websites available so that people don't have to randomly search Google uh, for what might might have triggered these kind of thoughts in their mind, but there's a place to go that they can go and look, you know, and say like, what should I know? You know, and, and the ski industry is really um, getting behind that more and more in the last few years. So it's good to see that trend of, of uh, encouraging awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Ignorance is so dangerous in the mountains. Um, <laughs> a couple of stories. I, uh, I saw a guy on Pyramid who had a guide, which was awesome, and they were roped up, but the guy was from back east and had no mountaineering experience, so he was wise that he grabbed a guide, but the guy took a fall that would have killed him, and the guide caught him on a rope and said, no worries, come on, let's keep climbing. You know, that's the difference between someone that has the knowledge and the skill and someone that doesn't. Uh, another example that popped into mind here is I've seen people jump on inner tubes and head into a Class 5 whitewater rapid. <laughs> and I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. This is not a water park. It's uh, it's kind of crazy because people see something, they say, oh, that looks like fun. And that's how people get in trouble in the backcountry. They, they just don't have that awareness, you know? Yeah, that's a great example. It's 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 so such a relevant example of, yeah, things can really change from fun to out of control very quickly. Yeah, so. <laughs> Wild stuff. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. 
Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. Colorado Mountain Club members get the most out of the Colorado summers. We summit 14ers, enjoy relaxing fly-fishing excursions, climb 1,000-foot rock faces, backpack through wilderness areas, explore the culture of Europe, raft through the Grand Canyon, and so much more. The Colorado Mountain Club teaches you the skills you need to safely maximize living in such an awesome outdoor playground, as well as connects you to thousands of other adventure-loving mountaineers. Founded in 1912, the Colorado Mountain Club acts as a gateway to the mountains for novices and experts alike. It's the perfect time to sign up for a membership. For more information, go to cmc.org. That's cmc.org. So, Greg, what about special events or projects that you have in the works right now? Um, this season in particular, um, Bentgate is really focusing on uh, a lot of community education. Uh, we'll have a handful of just social events as well. Um, yeah, we love that aspect of it, but we've really decided to uh, really try to make the knowledge aspect uh, easier to get to this season. So, uh, the most consistent thing that we'll be doing is at least twice a month, and it may be as much as once a week as we get these going, but we're doing um, BC 101 sessions, which is really designed to get, um, you know, take it beyond what we spend on the sales floor um, describing gear. We're going to have um, both our staff hosting. I'll be uh, leading out some of these. Um, we have so many resources available here in uh, the Denver Boulder area from um, our brands that we have guys from like Backcountry Access coming in, um, Ordovox, um, Black Diamond, um, other Backcountry brands that will come and lead out in these things. And it's going to be um, an open session that will be, we'll have a, a handout that will have all these considerations from, you know, the, the 10 essentials uh, to bring with you, your clothing um, and how that does, you know, vary from, you know, we get so many people that are coming from the Alpine ski environment and how they might need to adjust what they wear and what stuff is appropriate to bring and that they can use so that they don't have to have a huge budget, what stuff they really should consider adding to, to their uh, clothing. Um, you know, it, it'll cover everything from, gear how to get in and out of these bindings because they're um there's a little bit more going on you know with walk mechanisms added to them so it's not just quite as easy as uh using an alpine step in and then push your pull to get out type situation so getting people comfortable with that so that once they're in a situation you know where they need to be comfortable with their bindings it's they're not just dealing with it for the first time out there on the slopes it's uh little things you know we get um people that when they they rent skins from us the climbing skins i mentioned 
they haven't used them before. And we've had people that return them rolled up into a ball. And uh, we've had other people that return them with, you know, pine needles and dirt and going, how do I oh, get no. this stuff off? And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, just the awareness of how to use that stuff. Um, so we're going to have the, the first part of these BC 101 sessions. We'll just, it'll cover any of that and they will all be kind of open format. So every week or every other week, depending on the frequency, you know, people can come and dive right in and have people that, our experienced backcountry users that can answer these questions. Um, they'll also, we're going to have uh, the pamphlets for um, guide um, services and avalanche classes. Um, we'll, you know, have books on display for um, good info that, you know, for getting into backcountry skiing and good avalanche handbooks that, you know, books that they could go get at the library if they want or that they can buy there if they would like to own those books. Um, and then all of these sessions, we're going to be finishing up with uh, beacon practice. We'll go down to a park a couple blocks away and we'll you know, find beacons. We'll hide them in Tupperware boxes and put them around the park and guys can you know, work on finding beacons together. And uh, they can show up for just the beacon search. They can show up for just the the backcountry 101 sessions, um, or they can do both. And, uh, these will be sponsored. And a lot of these sessions will finish up, uh, down at the mountain toad brewery, uh, which is just a few blocks down and, you know, kind of have a social time afterwards. So, um, it'll be a time to maybe meet prospective ski partners and get, you know, talk, talk to each other and get to know people that have done this or might be interested in getting into it. So that's a big push for us to try to get those kind of sessions going more frequently. We were doing them once a month last year and we're just, my goal is to get them at least once a week um, sometime soon. So I don't know if that's going to be just through the middle part of the season for us, but that's a goal that we're trying to really commit a lot of resources to that. Um, we do have a couple other um, events that involve fundraising projects for both the Colorado Avalanche Inf- Information Center and the Friends of Birthed Pass. Um, we have a ski season kickoff party that benefits those two organizations and then a couple smaller um, organizations as well. But that's uh, September 26th at the American Mountaineering Center here in Golden. So that'll be more of a, a social. Um, there'll be plenty of industry reps there that can answer questions. Um, you know, so it'll be more of a, a gear session. It will have a movie and whatnot, but um, it'll be a time to get to meet a lot of the the people involved in the backcountry and you know regular alpine ski scene here in Colorado. So um, lots of resources at that event. So that's kind of the direction of what uh, the mountaineering store is is doing to try to increase the safety of of all backcountry users, not just our customers. Anyone's welcome to, to come and attend these events. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love the way that you're uh, giving people the opportunity to not only learn how to be safe, but learn more about the sport, but to meet each other too and build a community around it. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's really one of the driving things that, that got me so um, involved with the sport was um, when I was living up in Vail, it was you know, there was a great mountaineering store uh, back then, Gore Range Mountain Works, and I'd hang in, out in there. I was either, you know, after I was done tuning skis or waiting tables, and I just, the community around the, the backcountry is just unbelievable, warm, welcoming, you know, just a community that likes to have fun, and we love to engage in that. So, um, yeah, we do try to get some social aspects to a lot of our, our activities and try to get away from this is all about the gear because there's there's just so much more to it than just the gear. Sure, you bet. 
Well, how can people get more information? You said that, for instance, the that kickoff fundraiser was September the 26th, but if they want details, they go to your website? Yeah, we're um, bentgate.com, and then, uh, honestly, our Facebook page, which is just you know looking up Bentgate on, on Facebook, uh, we do tend to have all of our events up there, and um, they get updated on the fly, you know, um, from our mobile devices these days. So if little changes or updates happen, um, you know, we try to keep that up to date. People can, uh, one of the best things if they're interested in actually coming to one of these events um, is to subscribe to the uh, the Facebook events um, feature that you can do there on Facebook. And that way, if, if you want to know about them, they'll just be in your events um, page on Facebook. But yeah, our website um, is always is always listing those events and we'll usually have a, a poster and a, and a description. Um, it's just, we tend to use Facebook quite a bit for those little little updates you know and especially uh we do a lot of demos and if there's um any changes or stuff like that facebook's definitely a good way of getting latest info okay well tell us just a second um bent gate the name of your company there Mm -hmm. where does that come from people may think well we're talking (laughs) about skiing what's a bent gate (laughs) so um our ski shop started off in at mountaineering background and uh actually even more so than that a sport climbing um background so um the guys you know when we we were getting together and starting the shop we were sport climbing um so clipping carabiners um five six days a week and at that time bentgate carabiners were the uh the latest thing to kind of facilitate clipping clipping into the rope and that was uh kind of the connection where that name came from it was um we were a little bit different you know than some of the shops that hit out in the area and we were younger um we were into a little bit different aspects of of the sport uh, especially of climbing you know um definitely loved trad climbing and that uh i got to where that was you know my favorite favorite as better and more comfortable with placing my own protection and um you know learning more about uh cams and stoppers and all that but yeah the name came from sport climbing and clipping clipping bentgate carabiners back in the 90s that's awesome and your shop is located downtown golden uh, right there on washington street so if anyone wants to swing by it's a great shop you should you should swing by and and uh shake greg's hand (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I often hide hide out down in the basement these days. Um, yeah, I spent the first uh, you know fifteen years up on the floor. Um, I'm in between uh, you know Bentgate and Bike Shop, uh, Golden Bike Shop. That's uh, five blocks down the street. So yeah, I'm back and forth in the summer. I'm definitely down at uh, Golden Bike Shop uh, quite a bit. But yeah, definitely uh, feel free to you know have someone from the the front desk call me up. I always love uh, you know coming up and meeting people and. Uh, been great over the years that's one of the things you know having guys uh had someone in the store the other day that is uh an engineer he had gone to a school of mines and he remembered our shop from 20 years ago when he was a mine student and just came in and made a point of um stopping in he came from dia and was only in denver for a couple hours and and you know called me up and i you know recognized the guy i don't remember his name but it was phenomenal you know being able to have those connections that uh you know just you know guys that I've met over the years and you know, there's so much you know fun that we've had with uh, customers at both the in-store and then you know at these various events so definitely swing by and you know say hi <laughs> that's fun so do you have any tips or tricks for backcountry skiing for us 
Yeah, you know, when I was uh, thinking about that, I'd say uh, less of a, a tip, tip, or I guess it's more of a tip than a trick. Um, it's been from an observation over the years, and uh, one of the things I've really noticed of um, with bringing people into the backcountry for the first time, especially alpine skiers are, that are used to, you know, being cold on the chairlift, and one of the the biggest things that really made a difference for me when I started getting into backcountry skiing was learning how how to dress. And uh, a lot of people dress like how they feel when they first get out of the car in the morning, um, which at you know five o'clock up at altitude can be pretty chilly. And so, um, one of the things that I've gotten good feedback from customers you know, after kind of relaying this is just you know try to go lighter than you think you need as far as what you're wearing when you're on the tour. Um, maybe assess your your needs after being on the trail for five or ten minutes because you'll have your the time for your your heart to get going, um, for the sweat to get moving. And uh, I honestly find that I end up having so much more energy and feel so much better over the course of a day if I dress right and don't overdo it from the get-go and for me i'm, I'm just a, a sweat hog so for me it means like getting out of the car and having on an ultralight like wool shirt and a soft shell shirt on top of that like maybe a shoulder fabric or something really light and cuts the wind but it's not windproof and not a really heavy shell jacket which i think is kind of in a lot of people's perception um that they might need that and for me what i try to do is really when I pack my pack, I always try to leave those pieces of uh, my layering system with the with clothing easily accessible, so that I don't set myself up for getting really really cold if I need to stop, or if there's something if we need to stop and make adjustments to someone's gear. I always have my um, usually I have my puffy as my next layer, so either a down or a synthetic jacket that's really nice and lightweight, and compact. I'll have that right there within a easy reach within my pack and then right below that will be like a Gore-Tex shell or you know something that's stout enough to take the uh, you know skiing through trees and uh, waterproof to you know so if you're stuck in the backcountry that in combination with your your puffy is going to be your shelter so having those close by so that you can make quick decisions and you're never having to stop and think like, oh, do I dig for my coat and my pack or should I just keep going and see if conditions get better? You know, whether it's cold or whether it's wet, you need to be ready to uh, address that. So kind of that five or 10 minute rule, you know, getting out of your car and kind of deciding how you should uh, layer, That's that's been something that a lot of people have found really helpful over the years and they've come back and said that made a big difference on how they assessed their needs um, for layering. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, I often tell people when we get out of the car, I say, start a little cold. Let's see where you are when we get down the trail a little bit. Mm-hmm. And but the other point, which is I just want to highlight, is you're starting with a little less on, but you're taking what you need. So if you find yourself in a position where you're not active, you don't start getting hypothermic. You can stay warm even if you're sedentary. Correct. And that's, that's even for me, it can be as much as, uh, you know, just getting out of being in the woods and in the trees, um, where it may be warmer and it's getting out onto a, uh, an exposed ridge before I, you know, before I go out into that, I'll usually put on like that Gore-Tex jacket. That's going to keep the wind from really getting my body temperature down. And so I'll try to take a couple uh, you know, just a, a few seconds of time to put on um, that jacket before I get out there. And that's just part of getting that experience going. But 
you know, just knowing that my jacket's right there. And I usually, um, I'll clip my heavy gloves onto either side of my waist belt on my pack so that those are ready to go. And, you know, I don't want to end up with really cold fingers that aren't going to be able to maneuver, um, you know, adjusting bindings or helping someone with the boots. So I have my gloves handy, but usually for the tour in, I'm in very lightweight liners, um, liner gloves on my hands and a, a thin wool beanie, um, on my head. And those, often come right off and are right there in my thigh pocket so I can um, put them on and off really quickly. But if I need to do quick adjustments, I can still, you know, put gloves on so my hands aren't going up against cold metal and, you know, dropping, you know, getting my fingers cold just right away. So, yeah, just having those those little things with the clothing can make a, a big difference. Um, one of the other things I thought, too, um, not directly related to that by any means, but just one of those safety aspects is the last few years we've uh, been fortunate to have these uh, satellite messengers come out. And for me, um, I got one of those when the the spot messengers came out. And what they are, just little devices that are a little bit bigger than a cell phone that uh, you can just use when you're out of cell phone range, uh, which a lot of times backcountry locations are out of cell phones range. So you can send messages to people that either you're okay or you're needing help, or you're in an emergency situation, and really they should send out a search and rescue team. And these little devices um, can send those kind of messages. And my wife is a worrier, and that actually uh, made a big difference in her comfort level with me being in the backcountry, is me being able to send her little messages, um, such as like, hey, I'm at the trailhead, and here's my GPS location, and all's going okay, no need to worry. you know. And that, that's really made a, a big difference in our relationship and just her comfort level with me being in the back backcountry and i actually take those uh, i do a lot of solo mountain biking and um uh, uh, just other time and you know where i'm far away from cell service and i've just uh that's something that i think is really good and it's affordable um that can really just uh be a little bit of insurance you know when you're away from from just the uh you know comforts of having people look after you oh yeah that's that's those are great devices you know i i used to try to leave all that kind of stuff behind because I thought, oh, no, man, if I get myself in trouble, I'm going to get myself out, <laughs> you know. But I've had a few experiences over the years, and I thought, wow, you know, it's it's really worth having something like that, just the, the peace of mind mm-hmm. so that, you know, you know if, if something really, really bad happened, you could at least say, hey, I'm dying right here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have an exact GPS coordinate for that. So back to Bent Gate in the Golden Bike Shop. Do you have any discounts or special promotions for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to offer 20% off uh, any of our regular priced items um, at Bent Gate. Um, we do that at Golden Bike Shop too, except the bikes. We don't have uh, have those margins on those uh, mountain bikes there, but uh, 20% off all the other items. So, you know, probably see how that goes through 2015 but uh honestly you know if if you're listening to this podcast after that you know give us a call and we'll see see if we can still honor that so they just mentioned the adventure sports podcast and you say 20 percent on the things we can yeah yep that's all they'll need to do we'll try to keep it simple oh that's awesome thank you very much for that very cool oh yeah you're welcome so how do you think that the sport of backcountry skiing benefits other people or even society as a whole? You know, lots of times people stop and think that adventure sports are uh, a little self-centered or hedonistic or self-serving, but I don't really think that's the case. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think just, uh, 
you know, getting people, there's so many aspects of how it, it benefits, you know, the immunity aspects of it is one, just, uh, you know, it's something I've mentioned throughout this, but it's, it's really such a crucial part of it. And it's just connecting with people in society where, you know, we today, especially age so many people don't have opportunities to connect with with each other and this is just such a great way of connecting with others around you um yeah, there's plenty of time for for solo activities too and just getting out in the mountains um like i had mentioned before too you know that's personal time in the mountains is unmatched with uh you know being able to grow yourself whether it's just you know mental getaway and being able to have time to think through stuff and not being bombarded by you know the constant flow of texts and snapchats and instagram and facebook and twitter and all the the social media you know it's nice when you are out of the, out of range and it's just uh you know being able to get to where i think it's better people when you have time to uh you know really get away from the noise of everyday life. So whether it's just mental or spiritual or if it's, um, you know, connecting with, with those around you, I think all of those really can lead to happier people, more well-balanced people. And there's no way that, you know, having those kind of people is going to, you know, be bad for society. It should be people that are uh, ready to just, you know, contribute. And, uh, yeah, I just think it, it'll in that aspect, they'll be better for society. You know, I think you're right. You and I are really blessed in that we get to live in Colorado where um, outdoor sports are big. And they're just an awful mm-hmm. lot of people that are really healthy because they go out and they do things. And they make friends. And they have those experiences that you're describing. So I agree 100%. I think it's well worth it. And if, if you're a listener that's not in an area like that, well, maybe you can be a trendsetter. Show people how it's done. Get out <laughs> and do stuff, you know? <laughs> Yep. Yep, definitely. All right. Well, Greg, thank you very much for your time today. But before you go, do you have a funny story for us? I do. I was, it was one that's like, you know, so many of the time, uh, the times that we spend, you know, it, it's, uh, events that, you know, it's like you kind of had to be there to, uh, to be part of the, the funny times. So it took me a little while to think of that one, but, um, Took me back uh, to one of the early times when we, we first got the shop going. So this is probably 18 years ago. It was uh, involving one of my good friends and our our first employees, uh, Adam Wendling. And back in those days, we did 100% of the photo shoots um, by ourselves. So it was often me lugging up the camera and trying to convince um, a friend or two to go out and you know hike and tour and get these ski shots that we'd either use in uh, local ads or um, when we were getting the website going. Um, it was honestly ex- an excuse to get out there and say we were working. Uh, <laughs> no, but we'd, we'd, we'd go and um, do these photo shoots. And uh, it was before cell phone, and we weren't using uh, you know the little personal uh, radios to communicate. So um, these, these photo shoots often took a long, long time to set up and get the camera set up right and actually – make sure that we, you know, got our signals um, so that the person didn't ski before we were set up. So um, on this particular occasion, um, we had gone through this kind of time-consuming process of getting set up so the the angles were right and we'd get the snow flying and everything was going um, just right. And I was um, had signaled up to Adam to uh, go ahead and, you know, take off and, and ski. And I was waiting and waiting and I was like, okay, is this... Did he hear me? You know, did he see my pull wave? And um, it's like, 
get get another pole wave going. I was like, all right, come on, Adam, what's going on? And um, finally, I see him coming down, and he was quite a way, ways away from me. Um, so I'm you know getting set up and looking through the uh, you know small little viewfinder, and then suddenly it, it strikes me. I'm looking through the viewfinder and squinting and trying to process what's going on. Turns out Adam, during all this time, had stripped down. He was completely naked except for <laughs> one ski <laughs> one ski sock that he had delicately <laughs> placed so that he would have a little bit of protection. And he was uh, skiing down this untouched run in you know, his first tracks on a little bit of a powder day doing tele-turn after tele-turn after tele-turn right on past me with the camera and just oh. kept on going. So I'm not sure that's a good image. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, one that is definitely uh, in my mind that I will never forget. And I was rolling back then and it still yeah, just brings a, a smile to my face uh, to, to think about you know, those times. So needless to say, those didn't end up, those photos didn't end up in any ads. <laughs> but uh, we uh, did have a good time uh, laughing about that. Uh, yeah, for years to come. That sounds a little cold powder shots, huh? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> right on. Well, Greg, thank you very much for your time today. You've really opened up the whole world of backcountry skiing to us. And, you know, I really appreciate all of the insights. Uh, listeners out there, you might want to press rewind on this one and take some notes. Uh, there's so much information about avalanche training and gear and, uh, the way to do these things safely and to have a great time where to meet people and uh, so greg thank you very much we really appreciate it oh you're very welcome and one thing that we haven't incorporated yet but we're going to try to start uh videoing some of our uh backcountry 101 sessions so that hopefully we can get some of those common questions that come up and yeah we'll try having that as a little bit more of a resource on our website as that develops a little bit more so that's something that we'll try to capture and you know hopefully will be a good resource for the listeners as well. Well, very good. We'll keep our eyes open for that one. All right. Well, thanks, Kurt. It's been a, been a pleasure. Oh, you bet. And for all our listeners out there, until next time, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>